You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 27. Um, Today we have, obviously, a fairly large news story coming out of the NHL from their concussion settlement. Uh, We got some details on that as well as some insight. And also, we have a couple questions, one on noise sensitivity and another one on returning to driving after a concussion, which is um, an interesting one that a lot of clinicians have. And so, uh, see if we can answer those ones for you today. So first off, the NHL uh, settlement lawsuit, it is a tentative $18.9 million non-class settlement that was announced on Monday. It was a group of 300-plus former NHL players that alleged that the league failed to better protect them from and educate them about head trauma and concussions. The results, the NHL does not actually acknowledge any liability for the plaintiff's claims. Uh, The parties agree that the settlement is a fair and reasonable resolution. Options for the players, they have time to accept the undisclosed settlement or forego the lump sum payment and pursue individual litigation on their own. The settlement was estimated at $22,000 per player, which I believe to be fairly low, um, considering what I think the the NFL one was, was quite a bit higher than that one. In addition to the cash payment settlement includes neurological testing and assessment for players paid for by the league and up to $75,000 in medical treatment for players who test positive on two or more components of the test. Uh, and that's oftentimes kind of the difficulty in some of this stuff is um, so not all players will test positive on some of these tests. And we said that before there was a study that came out of Buffalo where they they um, studied a lot of these players on various cognitive measures and various um, imaging techniques. And they found that um, for the majority of them, they didn't have any uh, appreciable deficits compared to a group with no history of head trauma. And so uh, it might be a little bit more difficult for people to actually test positive on some of these tests uh, and get access to that that amount of money. Uh, they also uh, instituted a common good fund for retired players in need, uh, including those who did not participate in the litigation that's worth two and a half million bucks. So my initial um, perception on this was that it seemed fairly low considering um, you know the salaries that some of these players would be getting while they played uh, considering the amount of money that the NHL makes um, you know as as a league however I also believe that the NHL is kind of in uh, not as much as in the wrong is probably what they've been made out to be and you know one of the things that um, you know comes up into this is that the players are alleging that the the NHL failed to better protect them from and educate them about trauma but I think at the time that a lot of these players were playing there's a lot we didn't know about head trauma and so you know whose responsibility is it at that point if the information is not known um, is it do we have to disclose it I mean even at this point in time we're still we still don't know everything about these injuries and we're a long way away from actually understanding it. There's some you know, idea that these injuries are leading to long-term health complications, but it's still very unclear as to whether or not that's true or to what degree that is true. So I think that you know, on first look and first glance, it seemed fairly low, but also we have to take into account that I don't I don't believe that the NHL is really in a, in a place of, of, of full liability for this considering the information that was known at the time and, and considering the information that we still know or don't know 
about the risks and dangers of head trauma. And I think at least what this has done now, it's it's um, hopefully created some resolution for some of the players that have been affected. It provides them with some medical um, coverage, uh, some some mitigation of, of some of the, you know, probably the expenses and things that they've had to endure as they've gone through this recovery. And so I think it adds more, it sheds more light onto the injury itself. Um, and I think so all in all, um, you know, I'm not sure how many people are happy or displeased with, with what it is, but um, you guys can kind of cast your own judgment on that. All right, first question is on noise sensitivity. Noise sensitivity seems to be a consistent problem that lingers even when other symptoms are improving. Do we have any suggestions for that? First of all, I would get uh, a hearing test just to make sure that there isn't something else going on, make sure that the hearing is um, is, is fine. Uh, that's usually my go-to point to try and see is there hyperacusis or is this something that may be just more kind of psychologically guided? And I think there's a that's the big issue with a lot of concussion symptoms as is that it's so subjective, right? You might be sensitive to noise, however, um, it may not actually be considered a noise sensitivity. So I would I would get checked on that just to try and see. Uh, in terms of treatment for noise sensitivity, um, there isn't really much of a protocol that can be followed. But like anything with concussion on the rehab side of things, it's find out you know what's bothering you and try to work yourself up to that the analogy that i always provide is think about this like a marathon right if you wanted like let's say the marathon of noise sensitivity is going to like a rock concert right you're gonna go see metallica rock out and that that's what you want to be able to do that's your marathon and you want to be able to handle that now if you're noise sensitive at least perceiving that you're noise sensitive, you're not going to go and do that tomorrow. But by adding a little bit and a little bit and exposing yourself to first, let's say, ambient noise or, you know, in increasing the volume of the television slightly over time or slowly exposing yourself more and more to more, you know, more areas that would have greater noise. And then, you know, eventually maybe riding the subway would be, you know, getting up there, you know, in, in decibel levels and doing things that, you know, obviously don't put yourself at risk of, you know, damage to your ears, but putting yourself in, in situations where you're increasing the exposure of that. That's typically how concussion rehab goes. And so back to my marathon example, let's say getting back to full work is your marathon. Well, you're going to start with maybe an hour a day. Then you're going to gradually build to two hours and three hours and four hours and five hours and six hours and eventually you're back to full work. And it's the same thing. If I'm going to go out and try to run a marathon tomorrow, I'm going to die. I'm not in good enough shape to be able to run a marathon. But if I started tomorrow with a 3K, and then I jumped up to a 5K and then I gradually built myself up and got myself in enough shape to be able to run a marathon. I could do it, right? I know I could. And that's kind of the issue with any type of symptom that you're currently having. If you feel dizzy, if you have noise sensitivity, if you have light sensitivity, it's gradually exposing yourself to the stimulus to a greater and greater degree until regular noise doesn't bother you anymore. So a lot of people will avoid things. Like I've seen people with noise canceling headphones. Well, people that wear noise canceling headphones probably have a higher likelihood of actually experiencing noise sensitivity in the future is because you've you've decreased the amount of noise that you're exposing yourself to and now regular conversation seems too loud for you. And it's the same thing, they've done studies on this with light sensitivity. People that are light sensitive had a, had a greater likelihood of wearing sunglasses and exposing themselves to darkness early on in their recovery phase. So the old thing we used to do is say, 
get rid of any exposure to what I like go and sit in a dark room and you know don't watch any TV and just kind of be on your own and be in this cocoon cave during your recovery and then people come out and guess what they can't they they're too light sensitive in regular light well because they've been sitting in darkness for two and a half weeks and this I think the same thing goes for noise sensitivity is that if you're if you're shutting it down your noise canceling headphones you're gonna have a harder time getting back into just regular life and things that wouldn't have made you sensitive in the past are now making you sensitive there is some evidence however on the other end of things when you look at why people have sensitivity to certain sensations and some studies have found there's a hyperactivation of the thalamus which is the sensory integration point um, for a lot of a lot of your sensation and so people with light sensitivity and noise sensitivity tend to have overactivation of these sensory systems in the thalamus and so there could actually be some sort of central process as a reason for why you are experiencing this noise sensitivity so basically to kind of sum it all up full circle is we don't really know a lot about it I think the first step would be to rule anything out so maybe get your hearing checked um, maybe check for um, some other things like you know acoustic neuromas and things like that that may be causing some some problems for you once that's been ruled out then I think the progression would be to gradually increase your exposure bit by bit by bit and see if that helps but then again we don't really know a lot about it and so we're back to square one so try it out uh, what are the proper steps to returning a patient to driving after concussion so this is something that a lot of our practitioners ask and I think this was actually brought up in the practitioner Facebook group uh, for complete concussion management so all all complete concussion management practitioners have access to a, a group Facebook and so they're all trained concussion practitioners and we share cases on there quite a bit and uh, one of the questions was uh, I think they had a patient that they were trying to return back to driving and I'll provide kind of the answer that I provided within that group um, and this is similar to a lot of concussion protocols so return to learn for example it's well you start off with kind of your you know light cognitive activity at home then you go to a half day of school then you go to a full day of school with certain restrictions and then you go to a full day of school with with no restrictions it's same thing with returning to sport and so on and so on so this one for driving the first step is usually riding as a passenger in a car. How do you feel riding as a passenger in a car? Do you feel that you get dizzy? Do you feel that it causes a headache? Do you feel that it's too much for you? It's overwhelming to you? Well, if that's the case, then I don't think you're ready to start driving yet if being a passenger is difficult. Once you feel comfortable being a passenger in a car, the first step would be to drive around the neighborhood with a passenger and drive in residential streets so that you're not putting yourself in high-risk situations because the speeds are slow and you have a passenger with you so if you start to feel dizzy disoriented get a headache blurred vision whatever it may be you can pull off safely and have that person trade places with you and they can take over from there once you feel comfortable driving around the neighborhood with no increase in symptoms then get into highway driving and driving further distances and for longer periods of time but keep the passenger with you so that passenger with you can take over if need be once you feel comfortable in that scenario and you're having no more increase in symptoms lose the passenger and now you're back to full driving so that would be the progression and that is the progression that I typically put my patients on when trying to return them back to um, uh, their driving after after concussion injury there isn't really much in terms of a protocol on that that's just my <laughs> my take on on the matter but there aren't any return to driving protocols that have been developed yet and so um, I guess stay tuned for for future information on that one
That's it for this week. Be sure to ask us questions so that we can keep this show going and keep answering them for you. Uh, you can send the questions in to uh, info at Complete Concussions. You can also get, you can put them on my Instagram at concussion underscore doc, or you can send them into at Complete Concussions. No personal questions from a clinical standpoint. We need clinician-derived questions or very general questions that, that can be answered for a lot of people. We can't give medical advice over podcast slash Instagram. So um, hope you understand. Anyway, see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.